For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. Welcome to episode 109 of the Testudo Times Podcast, the Thank God There's No Basketball This Week podcast. Doesn't it feel weird, Thomas, that there hasn't been basketball in the past week that we've had to talk about? Um, it's been a little weird, but this is one of those we, we kind of knew about and we were able to plan for. It's actually we, also one of those seasons in which we're kind of glad there isn't much basketball to talk about. Yeah, for sure. Both both teams are in kind of down years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, no basketball week allows us to write about spring football, you know, things of that nature. That we will get to at some point football later in the show i really don't even want to think about football in march but my brain has started to think about football a lot more because it's something we will get to in not too long from now let's quickly start with with basketball first the men's team they played against wisconsin and they lost in the way that they've lost every single game this season there's no need to rehash it because it happened literally a week ago thomas you wrote about it when the loss occurred that it was basically the same way maryland lost every other game so we shouldn't really be surprised like that. Uh, the real story is that they're probably going to be in the NIT. NIT bracketology, which is a thing that I had to look up over this week before we recorded this show, is projecting Maryland to be a four seed. And that was before, I guess, Middle Tennessee State lost, which potentially adds another team to the bracket field. I don't know how it plays out. Who the hell cares about NIT bracketology, to be honest? I, well, I it, adds one team to, it. it adds one team to the NCAA bubble, which pushes everyone back a little bit. So um, and and every five seed in the NIT is what we're saying here. Yeah. And something around that is what I would probably say. Yes. And what that means is Maryland will have more games, potentially have another home game at Xfinity Center. But, you know, the NIT is one of those weird things that you don't want to be in. But in the end, you kind of are you're not displeased that you're in i mean maryland the last time they were in the nit they made the semifinals and that's not exactly bad you know and i was reading what gary williams was saying on other podcasts this week about what it means to be in the nit because he coached in the nit before it kind of gets you a little bit of a head start on next year you can try to scheme some things even though you do have some seniors who are going to play but presumably for the players that are going to come back it gives them a head start on kind of working on some things for next year Focusing on some areas of concern, I guess that can't hurt, right? No, absolutely not. Um, you know, this is, I mean, Maryland was just such a young team this year. And assuming and the majority team. of a young and injured team. Um, and so, you know, it, the more just reps you can get against somewhat quality teams, teams kind of on your level. You know, Maryland spent most of the year getting 
thumped by teams above its level and then beating most of the teams below its level. And losing in heartbreaking um, fashion to the teams on it. Yep. And so maybe if you can get one, two wins, that's some confidence. That's uh, something you can take into the summer. I mean, obviously the way that they ended the regular season and then went one and done in the Big Ten tournament, you know, that's not how you want to. That's not the, the taste you want in your mouth all summer. So... And NIT present, you know, NIT would present a chance to maybe change that narrative a little bit. Obviously, one more win, if they, you know, get a chance to get it, uh, is twenty. Um, and which they have fumbled two times in an opportunity to get. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and Turgeon said this as much, and we said this on the podcast last week. Was like, um, you know, twenty wins is something that if if you're everything goes wrong season is a 21 season you're doing not the worst this is true so we will see where they get in terms of nit bracketology that's at like 8 30 on sunday night when they release it on espnu i'll look it up when they announce it i don't i the only thing i'm glad about when maryland not in the ncaa tournament this year i'm glad they're not a bubble team and have to go through the song and dance spiel of having the entire tournament field revealed alphabetically who thought that was a good idea Seriously. Yeah, well, they're going to do at-large, apparently, alphabetically, and then the uh, they'll go like conference champs first, and then the at-large by alphabet, and then they'll like just talk about that for a while, and then they'll like the bracket's going to get leaked at like 6.05. Yeah, of course it is, and it's going to happen like the year when it took two and a half hours to release the bracket. Here's a message to CBS and Turner. You don't need to mess with a good thing. Release the bracket, build up the drama, talk about it, and then get off the air and let other people do it. The end. Don't try to make fetch happen with ratings for shows that don't need ratings. Please. Guys, I'm glad Maryland's not involved because that song and dance spiel and Maryland Twitter, having to look through the alphabetical list of, what, 36 teams to try to see where Maryland is, would have been just awful. The good thing is we have DVR so we can pause it and look, but I don't need... Charles Barkley trying to tell me the alphabet to see where teams fall in and which teams didn't get in. Because that's essentially what's going to happen. It's going to be Charles Barkley gives you the alphabet, which will be great on Sesame Street, but not necessarily on the tournament show. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's stupid, and I'm glad Maryland's not involved in it this year. Hopefully, it fails miserably, and the social media outrages thus, so that it does not happen in 2019 when Maryland makes the tournament. Anyway, not much to talk about for the men's team. We'll record a podcast next week. I don't know whether it'll be before or after uh, NIT game. We'll find out then, and we'll see what happens when that happens. But let's talk about a team that is going to make the NCAA tournament. That will be the women. Uh, they won their first two games at the tournament. It was a little bit closer than I think people would have liked against Indiana. And then against Nebraska, they absolutely blew them out, which was a great thing to see, especially after struggling with them just the week before. And then in the game against Ohio State, They had a very good start to the game, horrible second quarter, somehow managed to get it within two in the fourth quarter, then Ohio State outlasted them. I was really intrigued by that game. One of the first few Maryland women's games, I'm ashamed to admit, that I watched from the word go. They started out very solidly, and then they had that awful stretch in the second and third quarter where they got mauled on the glass, but found a way to come back and get it within two. And I thought when they got it within two, oh, Maryland's going to come back and win this game. And then Ohio State started making shots again but that was a Maryland team with no depth against a decent Ohio State team very senior laden with Kelsey Mitchell that still came back after getting really just 
blitzed for most of the second into the third quarter and got a game that was at 18 at one point to within two. I have to say that was really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those, uh, you know, it's kind of a mixed, you know, reaction to it because obviously they lost um, and they were losing by a lot at a couple points. Um, but they showed the fight that they've showed all year, which I guess is worth something. Um, well, especially when you consider what they've gone through with injuries and all of the defections after last season. Again, this yeah. is a team that's, what, eight deep right now? Uh, Yeah, eight, nine. So that's really, again, that's impressive for a team that this is their down year. And they nearly won their fourth straight Big Ten title. Yep. That's the down season for Maryland women's basketball. Like That's what we have to acknowledge as just one of... The most impressive performances, again, this team's had some rough losses. They had some tough stretches. But, again, they're playing with eight players this year. And they played with eight players in the fall because Eliana Kristinaki wasn't eligible until conference seasons. And then they had more injuries that derailed their season. And, again, think about all the players that they lost last year. This is an incredibly impressive season in spite of everything that has gone on. And that's something I think we'll have to look back on towards the end of the season. But... For what it means now in terms of bracketology, depending on where you look, Maryland is at very worst a five seed, at the best maybe sneaks onto the four line. And of course, the difference between a five and a four seed in the women's tournament is you host first and second round games. And for Maryland, it's obviously great to have more games in College Park as opposed to, say, going to Athens, Georgia, where Charlie Cream had them the last time I checked women's bracketology. Now, I don't know where it stands now. Charlie Cream is seemingly down on Maryland a little bit more than... Other women's bracketologists, I think, were you safe in saying yes? Yeah, that's that's what uh, I've seen. Um, you know, I, I looked at a couple others that had Maryland as a four. Um, Justin Fitzgerald looked at it. You know, he's a big bracketology guy, and he he basically says there's like there's really four teams that seem to be fighting for two spots. And it really just depends what your criteria is. Um, yeah, because all of the major women's tournaments are done, so nobody can improve their resume in any way. Correct. So, but we do still have to just wait. Yeah, it's, it's the weird waiting thing. It's like the Big Ten with men's basketball, which is so odd. But anyway, uh, in terms of who are those teams, because I, I said one of them is Georgia, and there's obviously two others. I think is one of them like maybe Texas A&M, I think is probably one of them. I think it's actually A&M, NC State, and Duke. Oh, wouldn't that be funny if Maryland got a four-seed over those two? Would be. I think Georgia's closer to safe. Again, I don't follow women's bracketology as much as others would, so. Yeah, I mean, even I'm not following it too closely this year because I'm not on the beat, but it's it's definitely, I guess, I guess something to keep an eye on and just know, you know, that could probably go either way. Um. If this was a different season and the Big Ten was as dissed by the selection committee as it has been in the last two years, where Maryland, I mean, they had similar resumes, largely because the Big Ten was not very good. This year it's much better, but Maryland's, I think, two worst losses are at home, which definitely hurts it, including a loss to Michigan State that's not very good and yeah, don't I mean, have a great out Also, how much schedule. do you... How much do you count that loss, which was like the day after Blair Watson tore ACL? That's a thing that I don't know if bracketologists and the selection committee put as much 
chalk in as we do. I have do. no idea. I See, that's no the idea. thing. Like, we don't know eventually what goes on in the selection process. They can make it as transparent as possible, but they don't necessarily have that the metric in front of us, you know. And it's and it's so subjective because I have to be. You got to be fair. The SEC was a better conference than the Big Ten this year, and you could argue the ACC was a better conference than the Big Ten this year. So that doesn't help Maryland's case much, but still. I think that did this team play a four a top sixteen team type season? You could probably say that. And the difference is, if they had beaten Ohio State, they would have been a locked in four seed. So again, that's where all this it comes to splitting hairs. And with the women's tournament, you have an extra seed line you look at, as opposed to the men's tournament where you really look at the top seeds. Being a four and a five, the difference between that is minuscule. It doesn't really mean much except for your color of jersey. And then you look at the bubble. In the women's tournament, because of how it works, you look at the top seeds, you look at the 4-5 line, and then you look at the bubble too. And that's why we split hairs in this, because hosting and not hosting is a very different experience in the women's tournament. Yep. And Maryland's hosted the last couple of years. So do you think, based on your uneducated opinion, that they end up getting a 4, considering the most prominent of bracketologists thinks they won't get a 4, and most others seem to think they will? Um, I, I guess I'll lean toward no, just cause, you know, I'm used to seeing them under seated a tad. And I think there's a more reasonable argument for them being a five this year than there was for them being a three last year. True. Um, so that's what I seem to think too. Yeah. I mean, they, they got, you know, a lot of pretty good wins. They didn't have a ton. Um, I mean, their best win is still beating Ohio state, the big 10 champions by 30. Yeah. I mean, and after that, it's it's just a matter of you know I whatever mean, they else. They beat Nebraska see. twice. They beat didn't they beat Michigan at home, or did they only play Michigan once? They only played Michigan once. Okay, but they still beat Nebraska twice. Uh, they went on the road and won three at times. Three times, yes, you're right, correct. Thank you. Didn't they go on the? I think they lost to Minnesota too, so that's not great. But they also who else did they beat at a conference? That was good. out of conference was uh, well Miami. I don't even know if Miami's in this year. Um, They're normally a very good team. Mm-hmm. And that's on the road. Uh, they beat UVA on the road. UVA wasn't great this year. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they, they didn't get a ton of great wins, but they had some decent ones. I guess it's better than a Maryland resume from the last couple of years when they had two losses, you know, and one of them was Ohio <laughs> State or something to that effect, and they didn't even have a chance to play them in the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, I mean, my... My, the two years that I covered them, they only lost to Ohio State or UConn, and then also um, a Pac-12, te- Pac-12 team in the tournament. Yeah. Oregon last year, and who was the other one? Washington with Kelsey Plum. You're right. I should remember that, but I've tried to erase it from my memory. It's a good point. Thank you for reminding me. I called that game. I should remember it more than I do. But anyway, so... Take a look at that. The women's selection show is on Monday, so very intrigued to see where they will be seated. But either way, they'll play their first game Friday or Saturday, and then presumably if they win. They have not been eliminated in the first round of the NCAA tournament. I can't remember since when. Might be six or seven years or something to that effect. Something like that. I don't know. Okay. We don't have it in front of us, but presumably that will be uh, when if they could get to the second round, whether they're hosting or not. That will be on Sunday or Monday. So we will look forward to that. And we also look forward to, as we record this Friday afternoon tomorrow, 
Teams one and two in the men's lacrosse polls are playing each other. It was a rematch of a tournament game last year, Albany and Maryland. Maryland beat Notre Dame, which is a, one of the teams they haven't been able to beat recently, and they beat them at home. And then they play Albany here. I believe this game is also at home, too. So that'll yes. be fun. That's the first one versus two matchup in College Park since 1987. That's crazy. Considering how good Maryland is and how often they're one or two. Yeah, and I mean, how tough they've just traditionally scheduled. Yeah. But I mean, they, I, they, you know, they schedule it's... as tough as any sport you will ever see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, you know, that's that's what champions do. So I'm very intrigued by this. You know, Albany is a team that has so many weapons. Um, and it's not like, you know, this is one of those sports where just because it's Albany and it's, and it's not like a name brand, you know, you, you wonder about their, their schedule or anything. No, they're, they're for real. Um, and they've got, you know, probably the Tawarton front runner right now in Connor Fields. Um, my favorite was, so Connor Kelly from Maryland had a 10 point game. On Saturday, which is, and which, then, I mean, lacrosse getting points is not as hard as say in hockey, but a ten-point game is still bonkers. It was, like, yeah, I mean, like that was the first ten-point game Maryland's had in almost forty years, I think. Jesus Christ, thirty or forty years. Like it was only, yeah, they just don't have a lot. And then Connor Fields had a twelve-point game <laughs> a couple days later. That's a very interesting game of one-upsmanship. Yeah, yeah, Connor Fields is coming off five goals and seven assists. That's slightly nuts. Yeah, a like, little I bit. Have to be and then they've got other guys too. Lacrosse numbers, not full field lacrosse. Oh, exactly. And then they've got other guys too after that. So it's well. So does Maryland. Um, so it it will be a really fun game. Oh, for sure. It's at noon. Should be. Looks like decent weather too. Absolutely. So yes, BTN showing more lacrosse than anybody else is, but. They've showed, they showed the Notre Dame game last week. They showed this one. It's a great, it'll be a great game. I may even tune in for that, despite the fact that I'm kind of lacrossed out. But and for one and two, you might want to watch that. And certainly it'll be – normally you expect these games to be offensive showcases, but watch it end up being like eight to seven or something. Um, I, I remember the, I think the first time they played last year was like 12-11. Maryland um, always prides itself it was on in defense, Albany. so I would think that they'll try to do their best to put the clamps down again. And they always find a way to do that, but when you go defense, sometimes the offense doesn't necessarily come in the same way. Yeah, I mean, it was 12-10 against Notre Dame for reference. Mm-hmm. So Albany's offense is better than Notre Dame's, I think. So we'll see. So that is coming up tomorrow. When you listen to this, hopefully you're listening to this on Friday when we release it. Uh, other spring sport news that you would like to get to? Um, Maryland baseball won at Coastal Carolina, which happened. Um, yeah, they, were they were they Coastal more like Carolina dogs than cats? Moved, <laughs> Coastal Carolina moved into the top twenty-five actually, like this week. So, um, that says something about how good of a win that is. Um. Softball won a couple actual games. Wow. Yeah, they went three and two over the weekend after went going starting like three and eleven. So, so that's better than Maryland. We call that progress. Is. We call that progress. Yes, we do. Um, they're actually home this weekend. Um, I don't I don't know if I'll end up going to it, but 
there's there's home softball, there's home baseball, um, home lacrosse, a lot of, a lot of fun stuff. Yes. So you should go to see all of it. At least you'll try to, I think. Yeah, no basketball. Why not? Absolutely. So that's all very good and well. And then there's spring football. Indeed. We knew uh, we we were... had, we're going to have to come back around to it at some point, right? Yeah. Um, so you had a so good they article. Started... I'm going to talk about this quickly. You had a good article about how do you deal with spring practices when your top two quarterbacks, who everyone knows are your top two quarterbacks, can't practice. And they can't practice the entirety of the spring. You might not see them until August. So you also have a new offensive coaching staff, in essence. So how do you work with that? Because even Max Bortenslager, for everything he has done the last couple of years, knows I'm probably not the starter. So how do you work when you have to go through an entirely new offensive coaching staff, a new offensive system, when it's clear your consensus one and two quarterbacks aren't there? You wrote a good piece on this. Well, that was Jared, but well, Jared uh, wrote a good piece. I, I appreciate. You it. I appreciate your. <laughs> you are still the. I appreciate the sentiment. Site. Well, you always write good stuff, anyway. Jared does too, so I'll have to apologize. I wrote to about Jared, the running backs, which they have like so many running backs. They I have, have no they idea have what they're doing. A thousand do. running backs. Yes, they do. And like all the running backs are healthy too. The quarterbacks. I mean, that's that's the weird thing is that, you know, they're going to try to, just put in the offense, do what they know how to do, and then, uh, you know. At some point, the guys will come back. I mean, they're they're already learning the playbook, and they're all doing that. They just can't physically, you know, Put the be a part of practice. Yes. Yeah, they can't just physically run the plays yet, which who knows how much that'll set them back. Um, they're still doing some stuff. They look decent. Like, I, you know, we saw them. Lamar wrote about this. They were, like, kind of sparring on the sideline. Just that's how they're keeping up in shape. Mm-hmm. So a little bit interesting to see. You got to talk to Matt Canada a little bit. That was fun. He's, as I was told he's before not, by some of he's our not friends, Walt Bell as a quote, but he's, he's still fun. Was a bit of a frosty relationship with the media in the past, but maybe it'll be different now that you're not at LSU where every move is questioned every single second of every single day at Maryland. You're more just like, eh, just be confident. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Because I think that's going to be interesting because Walt Bell's quotes were kind of amazing. And I don't know if Matt Can- – obviously Matt Canada probably isn't going to be like that. But, again, to get him, he is quite a talented offensive coordinator. I mean, he goes through jobs really quickly. But to still get him after losing basically all of your offensive coaching staff, that's not bad. And yeah, and I think what's interesting is also he said, like, he doesn't like moving around. Well, no one you know, does. It's- well, it's one of those deals where, you know, one place stops working out, and so then you go to another place, and then you do well at another place, and then an opportunity arises. You know, I mean, he was the fourth highest paid assistant coach in college football last year. LSU was that desperate for offense. Yeah, and even that didn't work. <laughs> wow. I think that's got to do with Ed Orgeron, but I can't do an Ed Orgeron impression as well as some other people can. Next time, yeah, next time, next I don't time, have that one either. By the time we get to football season, if I'm still hosting this podcast, I will have nailed down an Ed Orgeron impression for you, so we can make fun of that if the offense goes badly for Maryland. Yeah, we'll see what we have to do. I'll, I'll try. I've, I've been known to do impressions in the past. Most of them sound like Jerry Seinfeld or Bill Clinton, but... Whatever works. 
90s references, right? Everyone loves the 90s. <laughs> anyway, like, like we said, uh, they're going to try to implement the offense, but what's happening today, or it might have already happened as we record this, this is a this was not a story that I saw publicized a lot, but you guys put it in the Maryland Minute, and it, I think it's a big deal. For the first time since he was fired, really, Ralph Regan is back on the coach, not working for the other team. That's an interesting story, and it's I think it's a big deal. I I don't know how much of a deal it is, just because I don't know if it's a one-off thing. Um, but I don't the way really think it is. Go, I don't think it's a one-off, which means that again. How, we all know how Ralph Regan was let go of by Maryland, and that's a hard thing to go through, especially when you're an alum. He did not seem in any way for a couple of years like he wanted to bury the hatchet. But coming back, and presumably coming back more, he seems like he might want to bury the hatchet. And that saying something, again, seven years ago, that was one of the most acrimonious coach firings or mutual decisions to part ways, in air quotes, that you could possibly see. And for him to come back now, that's a good sign. Because you want people like Ralph Regan being part of the program. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the take, is that, you know, he's obviously got it. I mean, I, we don't really know what this is, you know. It's, it's him coming to the coaching clinic. Um but I think the fact that he is back at Maryland and DJ Durkin wants, you know, Freegen around for for advice, for whatever that may be. Um, I don't I don't really think anything bad can come from it. So, you know, that that's definitely a good thing. It's not a huge thing, but it's a good thing. Well, for Maryland, when you are grasping to so little. I guess. Again, well, your most successful coach in recent history is Ralph Regan. He was let go in a very acrimonious way, and you didn't end up getting him back on campus unless he was the offensive coordinator for Rutgers until now. I mean, I, I, I maybe I'm making more of this than I should, but I think it's a big deal because if he's back in the program, he can help. I mean, they were asking him whether he thought maybe he'd be in a Gary Williams-type role of the, the program. You know what I mean? Like in the assistance to the athletic department and fundraising and doing things like that. And I think having him in that role is definitely helpful for the football program. Yeah, I mean, wh- whatever, whatever ends up happening happens. This is true. But it's something to talk about in March when we're dealing with football. I guess. I mean, that's the thing. Is, I mean, we still have, like, we have DJ Moore to talk about. That's... Well, I was saving that because I don't know if you want me to talk about that because I might go on for 30 minutes. All right, well, give me a minute. Okay, actually, you could talk about how he did at the combine while I compose myself. All right, so DJ Moore is good at things. Yes. Um, he ran a 4-4-2 is what I'm – like, I, I remember it was an unofficial 4-4-3. I've seen I've seen three and two. Not that that part really matters. Either one is fast. To some, to some weird NFL scout that keeps asking players whether they like men or not, it does matter. 
Fair enough. Although I feel like those are different people. Stop uh, watching people and those people. those people are different people. They're all NFL um, scouts, and at this point, we can lump them into a basket. Yeah, especially because they're all anonymous. Yes, and that's good the for worst, them. That's the worst part about this. Anonymous scouts can say all sorts of nonsense crap and get away with it because they're anonymous. Yeah. So anyway, um, before he went in front of anonymous scouts, uh, DJ Moore just did a bunch of athletic stuff. He jumped almost forty inches in the air. He got an 11-foot broad jump, which I think was the most of a wide receiver. So the the long story short of that is he is one of the most athletic wide receivers in this draft. And this combined with the production that he put up with so little at quarterback, I think it was a uh, every day should be Saturday wrote, like there's you know rules for drafting wide receivers, always draft anyone who produced with no quarterbacks. Because you'll get something out of them. That's, they called that the, in the fifth round for. Well, they called that the Calvin understand. Johnson rule. They called call that, that the, the Calvin Stephon Johnson Diggs rule. Well, it could be the Calvin Johnson rule. It could also be the Stefan Diggs rule too. Theoretically, well, I mean, there were there were fifth round hit, draft picks in a while. He had injuries as well, so yes, it was. But he's also really good, and we knew he was going to be good. Mm-hmm. So there's no yeah, real well, shock in the same world. Same thing will not happen to Moore. Moore no. is projected. You ready for this? I mean, no, we, I'm we already ready for this, but... this. You know I've been ready for this for a while. Yeah. All right. No, 29th to the Jaguars. What happens? Okay. What happens if he goes 29 to the Jaguars, Matt? Dark suit day. Dark suit day. So, if that happens, well, I will not be able to contain myself. Now, we're already having a bit of a freak out in Jaguars fandom because they are not giving the franchise tag to Allen Robinson. And Allen Robinson is really good, and I can say from having watched them both for a very long time, both of these receivers, they're very similar. And the Jaguars do have other needs, offensive line, tight end. You're not drafting a running back at that position when you already have Leonard Fournette, but linebacker too. They have other needs, but they would have a hole in wide receiver if they let Allen Robinson go. And if they drafted DJ Moore to replace him, and considering DJ Moore is a very similar receiver in terms of physically what he can do, and how he can stretch defenses and also being crazy athletic wide receiver, uh, it would be awesome. Because now you have possibly the best Maryland defensive player in the last, like, five years and the first or second best offensive player on Maryland in the last five years, both on the Jaguars. Oh, God. <laughs> it would be amazing. It would be just awesome. Oh, for and, sure. and I can say I'm not a draft, Nick. I don't follow draft scouting as much as some other people do on the internet, and it is a big thing. I do not know whether, in terms of just draft things, he's better than Calvin Ridley or Cortland Sutton. In my mind, he is, because Calvin Ridley had quarterbacks who threw him the football. Whether you call Jalen Hurts a quarterback or not is up to you. And even Cortland Sutton had a better offense at SMU than Maryland had because their offensive coordinator is now the head coach at Arkansas. So Maryland had no quarterbacks and all sorts of craziness on offense, and D.J. Moore was still amazing. So I think D.J. Moore is the best wide receiver in the class, and if the best wide receiver in the class, who happens to be a Maryland Terrapin, also goes to the Jaguars, you will not hear me complaining in any way, shape, or form. And you might want to listen to me on future Jaguars-related podcasts where I defend D.J. Moore going to the Jaguars as being a potential upgrade or at least not a downgrade on Allen Robinson and me being entirely here for that. That's fair. 
So there you go. That will be awesome and amazing. And, I mean, it would be the first Maryland player drafted in the first round since Hayward Bay, if that happened. I think so. I think that was the last one, yeah. I, I would think so, too, because I can't – I mean, I, I Torrey Smith – no, not Torrey Smith, but I think Vernon Davis was drafted in the first round, too, but that was a couple of years before Hayward Bay. As I know, Hayward yeah. Bay was 2008, I think, if I'm remembering. I think correctly. that was 08, 09, maybe. It was 08 or 09. It was one of the two. But, Might have been 10. I mean, the highest-drafted Maryland player in recent years has been what? Ngakwe? Ngakwe or Sean Davis? I can't remember who went first. Davis went second round. Davis went second round. Okay, so he was – the highest drafted Maryland player since then. And presumably DJ Moore is going to beat that. And I guess I don't know. Almost certainly at this point. Yeah, it kind of seems obvious. I don't know when Maryland's pro day is, but it is this month of March. So that's usually a late March thing. I don't think there's much more he has to show because of what he has on tape, but he'll probably kill it at his pro day and you'll get everyone. The other connection with the Jaguars that I think I should mention is for one year, when he was a freshman in 2015, Keenan McCardell was his wide receiver coach. Keenan McCardell is now the wide receivers coach at Jacksonville. I hope that has a connection because that would be amazing. Which is the only thing why I was a little bit disappointed. I was never able to do more beat writery things with Maryland when I was a student because then I would have gotten to talk to Keenan McCardell, but I wouldn't have talked to him about anything Maryland related. It would have been all about the Jaguars. So, anyway, they don't give us. A, they don't give us like position oh, coaches I almost I ever would have asked and made it happen because it's keenan mccardell they would have known that i'm like guys i'm a diehard jaguars fan and keenan mccardell was the only thing i had to latch on to for many years at the wide receiver position i might have just done it just to talk to him about the nfl network special they did on him and jimmy smith and thunder and lightning but anyway i'm getting too far into the weeds about the jaguars which often happens in this podcast so i don't remember if any other maryland players were at the combine maybe maybe not i didn't jc jackson that's yes and what, what that was he was the only other one. He did okay. Um, I think he's still pick. looking like he's still looking like a mid round pick. I think like fourth, pick. fifth. He, he yeah, that's terrible, what I would say. He wouldn't be a terrible depth corner. I think in the NFL, I think he has the potential to do that. Yep. Okay. So another great story that we saw in the Maryland verse this week it was on the Players Tribune. You got to read the story on Steve Francis if you haven't read it yet. It, it's a heavy read, but it's a really good read. I mean, I think most of us know Steve Francis' story, but when you see it put that way, it, it, changes, it changes how you view them in, in a way, too. Because when you read those stories, the, the Players' Tribute is great for emotional, tear-jerking, long-form stories like that. And Steve Francis has an emotional, tear-jerking story to tell. And he went, as he said, from dealing drugs on the street to being a great college basketball player, to being one of the best guards in the NBA for a brief period with the Rockets. Like, he was, in many ways, a very, very, very early predecessor to what the Rockets are now. Because Steve Francis was that guy for a while. Yep. You haven't fully read it yet. I, I have it open as, as we're talking. I'll probably finish it, like, a little bit after. Um... And yeah, I mean, it's also sad. Like, I didn't, I didn't really get a chance to see much of Steve Francis. Like, well, by no, the time I started following basketball, when Steve Francis was at Maryland. <laughs> no, I was really young then. I mean, and then, like, even when I started following basketball, he was on the tail end of his career. Yeah, you were a little bit too. I remember Steve Francis playing. I was, yeah, when he was great, it was like, I don't know, like ten or eleven, maybe. So I have a memory of him playing and being really good. But he was not a sustained good. 
But he was on those Rockets teams with Yao Ming, so. Yeah. And that was a big deal when I was younger. So, you have that great story, which you should read if you haven't read it already. That That's a long one, so plot out like 20 minutes to read it, but it'll be a good 20 minutes of your day when you read it. So, I, I hope you enjoy that story. I certainly enjoyed it, and what he's able to do and try to overcome the demons in his life, that's really quite interesting, and it's a great story. And it shows you a lot of times what basketball players have and what players overcome to get to where they get to, and it's very impressive. So that's a lot of fun. And, again, maybe, maybe it's a long read, but I feel like those reads are the most rewarding when you can get them and you can sit down and just digest all of it, especially when it's a Maryland player that you're reading about. So... And Steve Francis is one of the best players in Maryland's recent history, too. I mean, kind of Juan Dixon before Juan Dixon. So enjoy that story when you get a chance to read it. And is there anything else we need to talk about, Mr. Kenzora? Well, right before we started recording this, Torrey Smith got traded from the Eagles to the Panthers. Uh, yes, he did. That's a thing. I mean, it's not... It's not know. a big thing. It's a thing. I think DJ Moore is more important yeah. now than Torrey Smith in terms of just football. Not not necessarily as Maryland players, but certainly when it comes to football-related in the NFL. I mean, the Panthers have no receivers whatsoever, so I think that'll probably help. But the NFL's getting stupid. Yep. There's a lot of dumb going on in the NFL right now, and I'm very excited to see how it transpires. Yeah, the uh, try to balance a, you know, a salary cap and a budget part of the NFL is always weird. Oh, I, I could, I mean, in the NBA, if you're NBA fans, there really isn't a salary cap, and it certainly is only part of the case in baseball, only when you look at teams like the Rays who are going with a four-man rotation for some reason. But, yeah, the balancing of the salary cap is, is one of my favorite things, and it means players you like that you think are good but actually are not good have to get cut all the time, like Tyron Matthew and Richard Sherman. There's going to be an all-pro team of players that have been cut this year already. Yeah, that'll be weird. But the NFL oh well. always finds a way to stay relevant, even when you don't want it to be relevant. Yep. Anyway, so we will record at some point before the women play at the very least and before the men's tournament fully gets underway, because I believe we will see the glorious triumphant return of the Testudo Times Bracket Challenge, Thomas, even though Maryland's not in it. We should be. That's um, good. For we will all figure this out. Getting your name read out in the podcast next week. Yeah. Yep. So we will certainly have that for you next week and on the podcast. If you haven't joined up by then, we will give you all the information where you need to join in. We will also probably have a good chance to preview the women, where they are playing, who they are playing, and their matchups. And we'll probably have at least either an NIT game to talk about or ones to talk about going forward next week. And we'll also review lacrosse and all sorts of other fun merriment and mirth as well. And hopefully there are no other stories about the FBI and college basketball coming out before the podcast is released next week. I would hope so. I think we'll probably get a bit of a downturn because everybody's filling out their brackets for March Madness and we'll get some more stuff in April like this. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, we have become professionals at doing the one-on-one -on -one podcast recently. Yeah, I mean, this is our first one with just us in a while. We've been able to get Jared and Lamar the last few. Hopefully uh, we almost Justin got next week. Yeah, that's what yeah we're, we're trying to get on. Justin next week. He uh, had a class today. Yeah, that's, that's the problem. So. 
The issue when the podcast host is very, very unemployed and the staff writers and editors of Testudo Times are all students that have classes. Yeah, well, well, we make it work. Yes, we do. So we will see you next week. Enjoy the women's selection show. And if you're actually going to watch the men's NIT selection show, we're going to pray for you. But until then, of course, go Terps. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.